it's normal for a career to have different cycles, right? And maybe sure. you're in one of those cycles where you'll go five or 10 years at a stretch and the primary way that you're growing is in just honing your skills and maybe adding on little skills here and there, maybe like learning how to test. <laughs> <laughs> learning to tolerate Lent. Yeah. <laughs> tolerate, not love. Come on, guys. This, this is not a fantasy conversation. This is real. Oh, okay. Talk real. <laughs> I thought testing was within your the possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, a, a bridge too far. That's a bridge. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library: Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 54, November the 24th. And what I don't usually mention the date anymore, but this is going to be released the day before Thanksgiving here in America. And so for those of you who celebrate, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We are fortunate and I'm personally happy that we have a pretty international audience. So happy Thursday to the rest of you. <laughs> and uh, let's just move into our triumphs and our fails. And this week I'm going to go first and I am just going to kind of build on my triumph from last week, which is last week when we checked in, I was had gotten to play with Svelte all day that day, and I was having a lot of fun with it. It was a really exciting thing for me. I went on and on for probably too long about it. No. For the last week, I have been playing with Svelte all week. Nice. <laughs> it's been great. Like all um, day long? For the most part, yeah, unless something super important or urgent comes up. But you know, let's just say like 90% plus of every day. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And it's like I've been basically building out a prototype of one of our projects because that project is just so old and decrepit that it needs to be rewritten. Yeah. And it's not a huge app, so it makes more sense to rewrite it than to try and fight all of the ancient dependencies that it's got and bring them up to speed and make them all work together. And so, yeah, I spent the week kind of building a prototype of that and figuring out how to put it, all the puzzle pieces together and proving to myself and my team that it could work. And it's been a heck of a lot of fun. Also, if I'm, I'm being positive and excited about things, it will have already happened. So the, what is that, past participle? Whatever, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it will have happened by the time that this episode airs. But this weekend, this Saturday into Sunday, I'll be doing Extra Life, which is a charity where I stay up for 24 hours playing oh, video yeah. games and board games and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network. Nice. Yeah, oh, really I'm a nice. sponsor, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun. How many, What year is this for you? I think this is my seventh or eighth uh -huh. year participating. Yeah. And for the last like four or five years, I've had one of my brothers who lives nearby and my best friend from college come up and join us. And my kids will play with us during the day and then they go to bed and the, the old folks stay up all night and drink beer and play games and try to stay awake. And uh, actually this year, my my oldest is going to be 13 soon, a couple of weeks. So we are giving him permission to stay up all night or to attempt to stay up all night with us this year. I don't think he'll make it, but. Yo, I can't even make it up all night. The latest I've stayed up in the last kind of a decade is probably like midnight. Oh boy. <laughs> and that's a stretch. That's like, I probably took a little bit of nap <laughs> at 10 PM <laughs> and then rallied for another hour oh, after yeah. that. Nope. That's not me. Sometimes I code at 4 AM because I'm still awake and I'm like, let's just Oof. keep going. I don't want to stop right now. I, I, I can remember the days when. I used to laugh at people who ate dinner at 6 p.m. And now my whole family, we eat at 6 p.m. every day. Heck I yeah. don't even sign off by then. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, know. Yo, so a quick side story on college and meal plans. So when I was in college, I was on this like yeah. platinum meal plan, which meant there was a main dining hall where I could have unlimited meals. And then there was sort of a, a side cafeteria where you could only go once a day. So me and a couple of my friends had this whole schedule where we would go to breakfast and then we'd go to lunch around noon and then we would go to dinner at like 4:45 because the cutoff for unlimited lunch was 5 p.m. <laughs> so then we would eat another dinner at like 7 and then go to the external cafeteria which you could only go to once a day at like 9. So we were packing meals like nobody's oh my business goodness. by eating dinner at uh, our first dinner at 4:45 was, was so pretty fast. eating like five meals a day That's basically. It, it was good times. It was good times. When you were young, 
Oh yeah, you could do that. You're no, like a hobbit. I can't man. do that now. I feel disgusting all Second the time. Breakfast. Oh, that's a lot of food. A lot of food. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get the back on track here. So Ben, triumph for a fail this week. What do you got? I'm going triumph. I, I've been working on the mechanics and the underpinnings of my blog for the last week or so, modernizing the code. Essentially, it's been running on Cold Fusion 2018 for the last maybe year or two, but I've the code is really Cold Fusion 10 code, which is got to be like a decade old at this point. So I spent the last week going through and trying to clean up a lot of the old cruft, converting tags into script-based components, converting. I added roll bar for error logging, so I'm no longer emailing myself Yay! errors as they happen. Good job, ben. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Although it's a little bit of a letdown because it's a mm, blog. It yeah. doesn't do anything, so it doesn't really get a bunch of errors. So I get like an error a day. <laughs> so the my implementation of the roll bar, I essentially created a cold fusion wrapper to the roll bar Java SDK. And I don't quite know what I want it to look like. And I'm not really getting any, like a sufficient amount of volume to understand how I would even use it to debug anything. Plus like every error that's come in so far is related to Chrome and Safari extensions. So it's not even, I I don't even quite understand why they're having those errors. That's interesting. I don't know. I've just, yeah, I've just been really excited about keeping it clean and, and, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. I, yeah. Trying to think if there's anything. Oh, oh, here's something that's interesting. So because it's rather old technology and it's not professional, I, I FTP files mm. up to my server when I'm done working on them. And I know that's like going to make a lot of people listening mm-hmm. cringe, but you know what? It's hella Easy. fast. And I, I edit a file and then I upload it and it's done. There's no continuous integration. There's no waiting for a build process to compile things. And, and I'll tell you, um, and I think this is maybe part of why I, I look at testing very differently is I make a lot of tiny changes. And so you make one tiny change and there's basically no way it can fail. And then I upload it through FTP to my site and it's ready to go and nothing breaks. And it's, I don't know, in the same breath, I hate the fact that I still FTP files, but I also, it's so easy. Ben's views and opinions, not necessarily representative of the entire podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So... We have this sandbox thing that we do at work so that everyone doesn't have to have Cold Fusion running on their machine. So if you're working on a Cold Fusion project, we do, it's not FTP, but it's something like that. We have this app or this extension mm-hmm. and I use VS Code. So I have an extension called Deploy Reloaded. And every time I save the file, it saves it to my local, like to my MacBook, right? To my hard drive. And then there's a process in the background that grabs that file and puts it on the server. Is it like a rsync? I don't know what it is, honestly. Okay. Like, But it's in your sandbox. Yeah, yeah. so saying. it puts it up on like my server sandbox every time I hit save on the file. And then when I hit the URL, it's not running my actual code from my machine. It's running the sandbox code. And that's just so that nobody has to have CF running on their machine. We just basically put it on the server and then go hit it. And then at any point, I can hit anyone else's code when I'm helping them. So I can go like to the new developers and go hit his sandbox and be like, okay, here's what's going on with it. Here's what you need to do. And it it makes helping each other really simple. At first, I was like, this is so convoluted and so weird. But then once I started using it, I was like, oh, okay. So it's like geocities.com slash tilde K roll. Yeah, 242. Don't forget the 242. That's important. Yeah. Pretty much, but yeah, so it's not so bad. That's really you know? cool. You're, you're giving away your birthday. You're, everybody's going to know that you were born on February 42nd. I mean, sh- don't tell anyone. <laughs> February 2042. No, 1942. There we go. <laughs> the, one of the interesting things, I'm just when you're talking about deploying individual files, is when you FTP files to a server, you have to actually think about the order of the files that you upload because you could upload a file that depends on state yep. that hasn't been created yet and suddenly it explodes. You you have to do I this thought dance. It was easy, like, well, I'll up if you <laughs> Well, do. it is easy, but it's ex- <laughs> there are caveats. But this is, you, uh, you it's funny, even though you're on a single server, you do run into some of the same kind of issues that you would with a distributed deployment model where you might have a client that has rendered old code, but it's making an API call to a server that has a new implementation of the API endpoint. And you run into all these interesting backwards compatibility issues or forwards compatibility issues. Version your API. (laughs) (laughs) But see, it's like, I'll have to update my application CFC and then reinitialize the application so that it creates new state, but it doesn't have the new views yet. And then I'll upload the new views 
that start to use the new state that was sitting there dormant. And I don't know, you do this little dance. I don't know. I've just been having a blast. I, a I hear Ben likes to it. tiptoe. That's what I'm hearing. He likes to, you know, dance around it very like lightly. You got yeah, yeah, yeah. to tread, tread lightly. Do around it. Make it good. When you wield as much power as I do with <laughs> cold fusion, <laughs> you, you have to Can't tread go hard, softly. Go easy. Yeah. <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, you would be proud of me. So I did sort of write a test, uh, which is, I don't know if you could call it a test, but essentially I send out two or three different emails from my blog, one for comments. I, I send one, I send a hello email for people who have never commented before or after they comment for the first time, I send a special hello email. And I rebuilt those emails to use my custom tag solution, which mm-hmm. I think I've talked about several, many shows ago. And then I created a test file, which essentially creates a mock data structure and then includes the rendering for those emails. So I can, I can look at what those emails will behave like without actually having to go through the process that sends out the transactional email. And I mean, it's a visual test, right? There's nothing automated about it's it. It's It is nice to be able to, yeah, it is nice to be able to hit a file and like, this is what the emails are going to look like before I actually have to yeah. send them out. I, I call that a test so, and I call that a win. I award you partial credit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I showed my work. I get some credit. Good job. Good job. Anyway, Carol, what do you got going on? So I am going with a failure. Sorry, I ruined it. I got home this morning. Okay, when I left the gym, I ran by the grocery store, and this was at 6 o'clock this morning. So I grabbed just a couple things, two of those being lunch meat, some nice freshly sliced uh, turkey and ham, and another being eggs, and then just some random things. And I got home, and I was so excited to get the puppy out of her crate and go play with her. (laughs) That I forgot to get the groceries out of my car today. Oh, no. (laughs) So I got in the car this afternoon and popped my trunk. I was like, what is that smell? It was the turkey and ham and eggs that I left in my trunk for the day. Yuck. So, yeah, not not a good smell going on in my garage right now. But I threw it out and whatever. I got to play with the puppy, so that's a win. (laughs) That's a win. I'm super paranoid about deli meats. I trust deli meat for like a day. And then <laughs> after a day, I'm very aggressive smelling it and touching it. And sometimes it gets a little like Done. a slimy yep. consistency yeah. to it. And Or I ugh. hate when you buy ham and it has that like greenish gold like shine oh, to yeah. it. I'm like, this can't be good. Ooh. Trash. <laughs> it's probably Yeah, fine. I always worry about that green. No. Yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. Even if it smells great. Nope. Not doing it. Anyway, so yeah, I failed at putting away my groceries or even bringing them in today. Did you say though that you were at the you were leaving the gym at six a.m.? I got to Kroger probably right at six o five because they don't open till six now. Everything here has went on some kind of Georgia. I don't know if it's a lockdown they're doing or what it is, but everything like nothing can open before six, and everything closes at eleven. It's like all of our grocery stores and stuff now are no longer 24 hours. I don't know if it's COVID or what they're doing with it. But yeah, we're going 6 to 11. But yeah. What time did you get to the gym? Right before 5. Sometimes at 5. I get up at 4.30, 4.45. I try to be at the gym working out by 5.30. But I was there earlier this morning. Oh my God, you're a beast. Yeah. Gotta be. These giant muscles don't grow themselves. (laughs) Wait, but you were just talking about how you'll be up at 4 a.m. sometimes Oh, yeah. Coding. On those nights, I just go to... <laughs> if I So if I code through the night, then I'll go to the gym and then I'll sleep during the day sometimes. Or I'll just go two days without sleeping and just work. Because I can go. I can easily go 48 hours with no sleep and I'm fine. Oh, my God. Yeah. You are fascinating. Thank you. I'd like to be fascinating. Carol's a beast. Yeah. If I lose like... An hour of sleep. I'm, no. I'm like I I have been told by multiple people I can function at any hour of the day pretty effectively. So I can be early. I can do nights. I can do multiple days. Just after 48 hours, I'm kind of on autopilot and you can't trust my decisions at that point because it's just coasting, right? It's moving. It's no longer thinking. Uh, you probably should have been a crab fisherman up on the like a deadliest catch. Those guys Never stay up sleep. for like 48 hours all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. Pass on that. I would just write software at 4 a.m. when I can't sleep. Maybe that's where you can see yourself in five years. Maybe. Let's see. Let's talk about that. 
<laughs> yeah, and actually, so I didn't I didn't mention that at the top of the show, but that's going to be our topic today. We're going to talk about the future and where we see ourselves, and maybe even we can dig into the question itself. Like when somebody asks you that in an interview, where do you see yourself in five years? What are they looking for as an interviewer? What do you want to hear? Sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Let's talk about the future. So Ben, I, I have a real hard time looking forward. I think at most, I can look like a month ahead. Mm. And if there's a big event coming up, I can't look past it. it. My brain gets so preoccupied with like having to go to Thanksgiving and see people and be social and in room with other people. I won't be able to plan anything beyond Thanksgiving at this point just because of the social anxiety to it. That has, that's not really like a, where do you see yourself in five years career wise? But career wise, I also find that incredibly challenging. It's hard. There's so many unknowns. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I look at it like the same thing I am now, but better. Yeah. That's not And the a bad better thing. is like hopeful. Yeah. But I do, I love the type of work that I do. I don't think I would want to move into management or anything like that. I think I just would want to continue to get better at sort of a an individual contributor level. It's so challenging, though, too, because everything is changing so fast. <laughs> yep. That, so that's how you know you're getting old. The change happens. <laughs> that change happens in your yeah. life. Yeah. When you start to be like, I can't keep up with these kids today. Yo, for real. Like you're talking about Svelte and I'm feeling bad that I'm not looking into Svelte now. And I work in Cold Fusion, which... A lot of people probably never even heard of Cold Fusion, and there's all the modern JavaScript frameworks, and then different databases, and all kinds of build systems, and compiling, and continuous integration. And it's I want to know all of it, and I know I won't know all of it. So sometimes I just throw my hands up in the air and be like, I'm just going to focus on this one thing and try to get better. That, at that one thing being Cold Fusion still, or are you saying picking up maybe another uh, thing? I, I don't know. Just like. The one thing being like the okay. things I do right now, yeah. just staying on course with how I work today, but hopefully getting better. But it's very sad and disappointing well, to think about so that. So I think that it's normal for a career to have different cycles, right? And maybe sure. you're in one of those cycles where you'll go five or 10 years at a stretch and the primary way that you're growing is in just honing your skills and maybe adding on little skills here and there, maybe like learning how to test. <laughs> learning to tolerate lint yeah <laughs> tolerate not love come tolerate. on guys this, this is not a fantasy conversation this is we oh, gotta okay. talk real <laughs> i thought testing was within your the possibilities yeah yeah, yeah. sorry a, a bridge too far that's a bridge yeah sorry guys yeah but like if, for anybody else it sort of feels the same way right like the it's a totally normal thing to to yeah. have these periods of your career where you're like I'm satisfied with the technology stack and it's I can feed my family right. and so all that matters is right. that I can continue to get better or grow when the opportunity arises or when the need arises I feel like if you love the stack that you're on, it gives you the opportunity to, like you said, make your skills better. You learn how to write it better. You learn mm -hmm. how to utilize what is good in the language that you're writing. And a lot of those techniques and a lot of the processes, those carry on to other languages you pick up, like understanding models and understanding data like that, that just transfers over. So if you're always struggling to learn a new language, then you don't get to hone in and get those skills really like big and broad. I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Do you think I'm a very introverted person? Yes, I think that you're a very introverted so person. I agree. Second, <laughs> all in favor say A. And I wonder if introversion versus extroversion affects the way people can see themselves in the future in terms of career growth. Because I, I think there's part of me that could think I'm an individual contributor, but my career path could be moving into a director role and then a CTO role and then maybe starting my own company and becoming a CEO and dealing with people. But, but every one of those steps really starts to skew more towards the social interaction. You got to have a lot of it with those roles. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to picture myself as being more than an individual contributor because just the concept of it puts me so far outside my comfort but zone. But I think that you are probably capable of being comfortable doing things like mentoring and oh, yeah. you know, like the, the social increased social scope 
I think is one sort of track for career growth. The other or the most obvious other would be moving more toward like architect, right? So you're laying the groundwork for things, but not necessarily seeing the project all the way through. You're kind of more big picture technology, proof of concept type stuff and mentoring. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting, and I don't mean this in a diminishing sort of way, but going towards architecture versus going towards leadership, I think are very different Mm -hmm. technical skills, meaning I have to grow my technical skills in a different way when I want to become an architect. Whereas with director and things like VPs, CTOs, CEOs, you can be technical, but you don't have to have that super low level concept that you might, as an architect, you're more about, yes, I know technology, but more I know about people and organizing people around technology and removing frictions and roadblocks and that kind of stuff. That's one of the things that we emphasize a lot when at my last job and we would put people in a lead position. The lead position wasn't you're the lead of the team because you're the smartest person. It's because you have the ability to bring a team together and get them working and you know how to get the right people to do the right job. And you know when to say something's too much and you will be vocal and like protect your team and protect the people around you. It's not that you're the smartest person on the team because the smart people in my experience, are very quiet and they don't want to deal with people. They want to just, like you said, they want to be their individual (laughs) contributor and they're very happy doing that. And when you push them into the go help a lot of other people, they they close off and they don't do so well. So the lead and those positions don't mean that you're the smartest person or you have the best tech skills. It's that you know how to utilize everything around you to the best of your ability. It's like you're the the team's big brother or big sister. Yeah. Looking out yeah, for everybody. Pretty much. Yeah. And I think that's okay. People got to do that job. Otherwise, we all kind of get screwed sometimes. Yeah. So here's a terrifying thought. When I was in my 20s and I was learning about object oriented programming and it was very confusing to me and I couldn't really relate it to any of the work that I did on a day to day basis, especially because I wasn't really building anything that had business logic. It was all just take the data out of the database and put it on the page. Yeah. That's basically all the things I built. And I just thought to myself, all right, I'm going to give it 10 years. And I know that in 10 years, I'll be a master of object-oriented <laughs> programming. And it's okay that I don't get it now. And it's confusing now. And that's fine. But as long as I put in my time and I progress and I practice and I learn, like in 10 years, I'm just going to be a master of this. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. And it's like 20 years later now. And I still don't know basically thing one about object-oriented programming. So. I had all these assumptions about where I would be if I just put in the time. And you could argue that I probably didn't put in the time to really learn that stuff effectively. But clearly, just letting time pass was not nearly sufficient to get me where I thought I was going to be. So I've definitely had some grand visions of what I would know and what I would understand. And those did not come to fruition. So it makes me a little hesitant to get too bully on on the things that I might know in five years because we're older and wiser and more, I don't know. I'm going to challenge you. Five years, yeah. will you know, oh, oh. No, <laughs> definitely not. I've, I just like, I've given up on it. Yeah. I don't, I've embraced the idea of working just sort of with data and with components that manipulate that data and not really thinking about yeah, object you trees and composition and, and inheritance. Yeah, and, I think yeah. that the big difference is that from my incorrect and and wrong understanding of OO is that <laughs> instead of just working with primitives and passing those around to all of your mm-hmm. service layer and, and DAO and all that, you have like everything is a composition of objects, right? You right. have beans and they contain collections of other beans and. It just seems, at least in the stacks that I work in, that would be wasted computation to make that happen for little to no gain. That's what it is to me, is that the type of application that I build has not so little business logic, but the business logic is so really not complicated that the idea of really driving towards encapsulating it into objects that contain their own data feels like overkill from a performance standpoint and from a maintenance standpoint, but then also from just a readability standpoint, sometimes it's just easier to look at a piece of data and then look at the things acting on it 
without having to understand how all the objects relate together. And see, I like it. I like that whenever I pull in an object, I know exactly what it's doing. And if I extend that and I get years on it, it's going to do the same thing for all of them because it it works the same. And I don't want to have to go reprogram anything. So I like having the top layer. So I don't know. It's interesting stuff. Yeah. One of the canonical examples that comes up often is you could have an, a user object that has a first name and a last name. And it could have a method like get full name, sure. which concatenates the, the first two. name and the last name uh-huh. under the hood. And I'm always like, all right, yeah, I guess I could sort of see that. But then I go to have to actually implement stuff like that. For example, in an email where I have to output the user's first name and last name. And all I do is output the first name and last name. Like it's not mm. complicated <laughs> to, to squish that stuff together. And, and then you could say, well, then how do you know you're going to do it consistently all over the place? I'm like, uh, maybe I won't. I don't know. But is that a problem? I don't think it's a problem. Yes, it's a problem. You should do it consistently no one's dying. everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. We're we way are. off topic That's here. Okay. But, but, you know, I bring that up because one of the things that I'm really interested in learning is distributed systems and event-based systems and message queues and event buses. That's all cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And part of me thinks like, oh yeah, in 10 years, I'll just be a master of that stuff. But like, I've learned that lesson already. And I don't know. I'm, that's my ideal would be to be better at distributed systems in five years would be awesome. That'd be, I think, time really well spent. I'm going to kind of relate this to something that I can personally relate to. So I feel like you were talking earlier about how you have a little bit of maybe FOMO or something where I'm talking about Svelte and I'm learning Svelte and testing and Mm -hmm. other stuff. And I feel like there is a a big mental hurdle there, right? If it's a topic you know nothing about, it's just a name, then you see that name and it just appears like this huge wall that you have to scale. But once you scale it, like once you start to climb it, you see that, oh, it's only like knee high anyway. I can just step over this thing. And now I'm on the other <laughs> side and it's not, there's not that much to it. And now I kind of like, I, I learned the 80% in a couple of days and that's enough to kind of fake it till yeah. you make it sort of thing. And you do that for a few things. And now all of a sudden, like you may not be a fluent master at all of them, but you can have a, you, right, you can have an intelligent yeah. conversation about right. them. And I think that you'll find the same is true when you start to learn about buses and the, Cubes, yeah, all, yeah, all, all those, those technologies. Yeah. Man, uh, I really like that thought and that's good. Like I always see these hurdles and I get stopped yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, I want to go do it. I want to go do it, but I know I'm going to fail at learning it, so I just don't take another step into it and I go learn something that I know I already kind of have a good grasp right. on. I'll go add something to my repository of already known things." So yeah, I should see things as, you know, get into it a little bit. Just see where it goes. Mm-hmm. It may not be so bad. And if it is that bad, well, I still started yeah. and it's okay. Unknowns are intimidating. Very, right? Very. That's probably one of my biggest regrets in my career is I think somewhere along the line, I lost the will to, not the will, I lost the drive to experiment on totally random things that everything that I wanted to experiment with started to become relating to work or relating to something I had previously experimented on, going back to Carol's point about putting something you already know back into your own repository right. kind of a yeah. thing. That it, It's been so much of what I've done is minor extensions of the thing that I already knew, which I do think has mm-hmm. a lot of value Absolutely. Yeah. at work because I'm constantly thinking of slightly different ways to do something or ways to make things more efficient, but it really does sort of pigeonhole me in terms of the number of things that I know. Yeah. When you're taking that approach, you're taking small steps outside of your circle and sometimes you, it's beneficial or you'll learn more faster if you just like take that leap of faith and jump outside of your circle to another circle and you'll find that you, after you're there, you see the bridge between the two. There's a lot of relational, not that's a bad word choice, but a lot of information that, that is shared, <laughs> a lot of knowledge that's shared yeah. between the two, but you couldn't see it from this side of the wall. Yeah, I think I, I've, I've become very afraid of doing things that are completely throwaway, that everything I do has to be building towards something of value that I can sort of see. I think, yeah, I've become very fearful of somebody mentioned something on a podcast and now I'm going to go try it for a weekend and then maybe never look at it again. Yeah. And that 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 sort of freeness of spirit and enthusiasm, I think I've dampened that it's been over the years. years. 
like many years since this went like the, through the, the CFML community, there was this period of time where it seemed like everybody and their brother was reading the book seven languages in seven weeks. I did not participate yeah, yeah. in that trend. I didn't read the book. I don't even know, don't even know what, what that languages is. there are, but it, it's just like a primer on seven different programming languages. And I think that most of them are vastly different than the ones that we are super familiar with. And the idea is to just expose you to these other things so that you can kind of see what else is out there in the world. What are your other options? You don't have to stay on this side yeah. of the, the wall. There's a database version of that too now. I think there's a seven databases in seven weeks as well. I have not read that one. I got too many books. That, Didn't even yeah, know about this. I got two mm-hmm. books sitting yeah. here on my desk that I need to finish sooner rather than later. And So let, let's talk about five years with you, Adam. Let's get over sure. to that one. I think it's probably a little bit easier for me because I'm on a trajectory. So I have been working for the same company for going on 10 years. It'll be 10 years in March. And wow, there have been a number of times that I ask myself, should I have moved on for the sake of moving on? Because that's like the best way to get a raise in our industry and um, to get exposure to more things. And I think the reason that I haven't is because I really like the work that I do. Like the vertical that we're in, we strictly deal with colleges and universities, higher education. I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. like in love with or tied to that industry, but we have found a good, for lack of a better word, product market fit. And we, we have a good business going here. And because of that, and because of our small team and scrappy attitude toward getting it done with a minimal team, we are, we have a lot of really interesting problems to solve, scaling and multi-tenant stuff and distributed systems. And that makes for really interesting and challenging work. And so I am excited to walk down my hall and come into my office every day. I also get to work from home for the last 10 years. It's been great. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm excited to come into work every day and I have no hesitation to stay a little bit late to finish the thing that I'm working on, right? I'm not, I I never finish the day watching the clock. So from that perspective, I'm really happy to be here and I I don't think I would want to leave. And so it's easy for me to say in five years, I'll still be here. And on top of that, we have things in motion now that we can see are going to fundamentally change our business. So it's just a matter of like, is that in the next year, the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years? Mm. So I can make an estimation and say like, in the next five years, I expect that we will have made some significant changes to our stack and we will probably have at least doubled our development team, which, nice. okay, so we'll go from three full-time to six <laughs> uh, developers. <laughs> okay. Heck yeah. That's so yeah. nice. <laughs> and just other, a collection of other little things like that. But one of the things is I expect that among those changes, I want to see myself take that leadership role, like the CTO sort of thing. And I, I'm eager for that challenge too, right? Like, do, do you have a CTO right now? I mean, no, right? on my business card, it says CTO. Okay. okay. <laughs> but okay. right. There's, it's a company of five people. So it's right. kind of a, okay. kind of an all chiefs, no Indians type situation here. Following, following. Okay. Gotcha. So we talked about the challenges of learning new technology and, I have that same appeal. Like I I enjoyed learning new technologies. I'm really enjoying learning Svelte. But the idea of learning how to manage people, how to be a team lead, how to be a good CTO, I'm not excited about the idea of like literal full days of meetings. But aside from that, Mm -hmm. the challenges of stepping into that leadership role just for some reason really appeal to me. And honestly, I think it's an opportunity to look at the exact same problems that we have now and the the types of challenges that we face, but look at them sort of from a different angle, right? From a business management yeah. perspective. But you have that back knowledge from the position you've been in for so long. So the view you'll have is going to be really good. Right. So that's kind of where I see myself in the next five years. So I'm, I'm going to negative Nancy yeah, do you it. a little bit, and I'm sorry. So sorry. <laughs> I invite it. I... I, so I love, I love it. I love that you're like super passionate and want to do this. I'm on the flip of that. I went from being on a team to a team lead to like a principal engineer role where I'm carrying everything to after several years of doing that type of work and being over just so much and so many people, I don't ever want to do that again. 
I just want to be on a team writing code on a product I love with a stack that makes sense to me and that challenges me every day. I don't want to be the one making the big decisions. I don't want to lose sleep at night. I want to end my day loving what I do and not having that extra stress Mm -hmm. of all of these people are reliant on me to have jobs and to have futures and the company is on my shoulders. I just want to, you know, sign off for the day, have a beer, pet my puppy and enjoy the back porch. I don't want to spend my day thinking about it. So I, I don't, that's not where I see myself anymore. 10 years ago when I started, believe me, that's where I saw myself. I want to jump in here. I know we're talking mm-hmm. about yours now, but you're relating it to mine and I, I have, you've, I am. No, go. I, I want to no, counterpoint your counterpoint. Yeah. So you were talking about, you don't want that weight on your shoulders. I get right. that because I have that now, right? I, it's not solely yeah. on my shoulders, but we, like I said, we're a five person company. Yeah. We all carry that yeah. weight yeah. to some extent. Mm-hmm. And certainly the CEO more than anybody else. He signs the paychecks. He's the one that knows whether or not we're going to make payroll every (laughs) every other week. And even if there's a bunch of money in the bank, that's still a a pressure that I'm going to take home every night. Yeah, I think, but I think is maybe that's one of the things that's making it easier for me to look positively at that transition possibility because I've already made peace with that feeling. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm not saying it's bad for you. I'm just saying like, that's, not me anymore. It's not. I, again, if we would have had this conversation when you and I first mm-hmm. met, I would have told you about every startup I ever wanted to do and how I wanted to run my own company and how I wanted to be over everything. And after do after being over at just what level I was, I don't. That's just not me anymore. I really, really just love writing code and sitting with a team of people and doing it together and having discussions. And this is where I've actually found that I'm the best suited at. Like, I really can't see myself managing people. I can see myself at some point being more like a librarian because people are going to come into this industry younger than me and they're going to think faster than I am and they're going to be up on all the new hip things. And I'm okay just taking the knowledge I have and transferring that into what we're doing at the moment. Maybe it's not in a tech stack that I'm familiar with or I know, but I can relate it to what they're doing. And I'm okay with like tra- like rolling into that type mm-hmm. of role later on, but I, I don't want to be in a management role. I just want to write code and be happy and pet my puppy. Yeah. I think when it comes to this too, the other thing that's going through my mind is the rule of reversible outcomes. Have you heard of this? Okay, explain that. So basically, if there's a decision that you have to make and it's a stressful decision, you should ask yourself, can I undo this decision? If I make this decision, how Mm. much am I committing to that? Everything needs a rollback. (laughs) So this app that we're considering moving over to Svelte, if we get a week or two weeks or a month into the process of converting it over and we go, eh, this isn't working. What, what does it cost us to abandon that and go back and do something right. else? Right. That's, that is what you have to ask yourself when you're trying to decide whether or not to take on that decision. And yeah. so if the outcome is reversible, then that should lower your inhibition or make it easier to make that decision, to be willing to try something. I think Amazon talks about mm-hmm. two-way doors like you should never be afraid to walk yep. through a two-way door what is a two-way door like, like a reversible action yeah, same thing that, okay. uh, that Adam's talking it's, about. it's not a full commit i'm like a door just opens and closes <laughs> here here's something that i struggle with and i don't know if i don't think this is imposter syndrome though i think it's maybe under that umbrella okay when i look at the roles in a company I look at other people as doing the things that I can't do. So I look at the CTO and he's a people manager and a big picture guy. And that's not what I am. So I look at that. I'm going to go, this guy adds more value because he's doing the things that I can't do. The CEO is the visionary and the roadmap and the product leader. He's doing all the things that I can't do. So he must be adding more value. But then the, if I can step outside of myself and all of my anxieties, Everybody at the company has different roles and they're all adding value at the same time. Right. So theoretically, you could take the other perspective that the CTO looks at the individual contributors and is like, 
oh, well, they're actually in there writing the code exactly. and I don't really know how to do that. So they're the ones really building the product. But I don't know how to, I, rationally, I don't know how to grapple with those feelings of anxiety that I'm not living up to the value that other people are doing, are adding because they're doing the things that I can't do. It's very challenging for me. So I've had the conversation with my kids talking about what, what degree should I get? Like, what should I do when I'm in college? And it, what you said made me think of that. They are like, oh, I want to do this. Or, you know, I want to play in the NBA or I want to do whatever it is, some <laughs> big thing. I'm like, you can't look at what you want to do. I'm like, let's stop and look at what you're good at. Let's look mm -hmm. at what skills you have and what you are really passionate about that you're good at, and then let's play with those. And maybe those can lead into something that you want. But if you just go and do something that you want and you're not good at it, you're going to fail at it. So at least start with something that you're good at and let that be like your point. And if you're not good with people, don't be a manager. Like it, that's, that's right? an easy just one. just be uphill the entire time. And you would be miserable. Like don't do that. I'm not going to go play in the NBA. I'm tall, but I can't I have no coordination. Like, that's not my thing. Right. <laughs> we'll just fall all the time. But I am pretty good with people. So I mean, I would be OK managing people. I just don't love it. I don't love doing it. I enjoy what I do. Just writing code hmm. on the team. Mark Escher, longtime love him. fan of the Cold Fusion love community. Yeah. Super great guy. He always gets on me on social media when I'm talking about how I wish I could do more. And he's always saying you should become a manager and then you become mm -hmm. a force multiplier because your enthusiasm can then be pushed down onto other people who can then implement yeah. your enthusiasm. But, and, and I think that mentality, and this is not a dig at Mark's perspective at all, but I think that mentality of managers do more because they're force multipliers gives me a lot of anxiety mm and insecurities as an individual contributor, because I know I'm not a force multiplier. I'm a force of one <laughs> and it's a very forceful one, but it's still one. And to me, that's and okay. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to do that. It is, yeah. It's, it's totally legit to retire on your last day of your career, still being an IC. I think so. I think so too. But I also think that because I have went through the steps yeah, you've been there. I've seen like what my life feels like when I am in the other roles, when I have authority, when I'm asked to make the final decision, when everything coming out of the company has to go through my hands. I felt that and I know I didn't like it. So that's easy for me to say I'm okay to end. If, if my career ended and I have just did nothing but been a senior engineer, that's where I, that's where I retire at. I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, I was pulled in to what you said about what Mark said. I was pulled several years ago and I was told to be a cheerleader for the company. Oh, no. And I was like, excuse me? Like, do you know what I do every day? I'm like, I'm literally writing your product and you're telling me to just be the cheerleader. And they're like, hold on, hold on. Like, we don't mean it like that. We mean that take what you have, that passion you have and push that to the rest of your team. I'm like, well, say that. Don't tell me to go be a cheerleader when I am the only female engineer in this company. Like, really? Come on, Carol. Come on. Go be a plague of enthusiasm. Thank you. I would have taken that so much better. So much better. I was just offended at the, you know, I, once I understood like where they were coming from, it was just a bad terminology. Like be a force multiplier. If you can do that, do that role. Yeah. So yeah, five years. I want to be on the team. I want to be writing a product that, you know, is doing well or growing a new product that just started or don't really care. I just want to be writing some code on a stack that makes me happy and learning and she won't be a puppy anymore. <laughs> so petting my grown dog at that point. <laughs> You'll have another puppy to go along with her. Yeah, we'll, we'll get her a playmate. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where I see myself in five years and I'm okay with that plan. One thing that I do feel very strongly about is I like talking to customers. Yeah. Even if it's not on a very frequent basis, I like doing work that is customer facing because I get a lot of satisfaction out of solving problems for customers. I, I don't think I could really, I don't think I would be very happy working on something that was entirely internally facing to a company, like building internal tools or building stuff for the support team. I mean, you could argue that those are customers, are customer. but it's somehow not a customer in the same way to me. 
personally. Well, like, I mean, the project I wrapped up a few months ago, I mean, reducing customer support by 40%, their touch points to emails and giving them the opportunity to go actually be customer service representatives and actually build our clients. Oh, like, damn it, you're to right. me, that makes me happy. Like they are coming to me and telling like, we're getting all this praise and how much happier we are and how they enjoy it. So I mean, while I'm not getting it from the external customer, I'm absolutely getting that same. And I go meet with them and they show me problems in their workflows and they show us issues that they're having with the system that we've written. And I'm like, <laughs> my customer is my good customer, even though it's internal. <laughs> Let me interject and then clarify because I, I, what you're saying is 100% right. And I wasn't thinking straight about it. I, I think maybe... The feelings that I'm having are, I don't want to be in a situation where I just interface with my manager no. and then my manager oh, interfaces yeah, yeah. No, with no, no, the no. rest of the world. Yeah, like, no. I need to have some interaction yes. with people that I'm solving problems for so that I get that feedback and those warm fuzzies when I do the, <laughs> the right Completely thing. Completely agree. Yep. So now we're on the same page. Good job, Ben. Yeah, I think <laughs> Thanks so. Thanks for clarifying. I think so. Here's one thing. This is a bit of a non sequitur, but this is just something that was rattling around in my head during this conversation. So... Early days in the company, I was the CTO, but I, I, I was the CTO on paper, not like in any real practical way. I was basically an individual contributor in a small company that happened to have the title of CTO. Like Adam's business mm-hmm. card. Yeah. And, and then I stepped down and I became an individual contributor and I carried around a lot of, I don't know what the right word is. I felt bad about it for a long time. For stepping down? Yeah. yeah. For stepping down. I felt like I wasn't living up to my potential and maybe I was letting people down or I wasn't adding value in a way that I could really maximize value. And at one point we had a CTO and we've had a number of CTOs. We had a CTO who came in and I remember made this like really bold move. And at the time, I don't want to get into the specifics of what it was because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but he made this huge, bold move. And I remember that moment and thinking to myself, this is why I'm not CTO because I would never have had the gall to do it. To, mm-hmm. to pull that move. Yeah. And, and these are the kind of people that come in and did it. And then the reality is nothing ever came of it. And eventually he left the company. And it's funny to look back at that and think like, here's this guy who had the CTO swagger and was able to make moves that I would have never made. Uh, but in reality, like nothing ever came of it. Right. So it's like I gave him at the, at, at the time all this credit. <laughs> Or nothing. And then that credit <laughs> didn't lead to anything. Yeah. And, and I don't know. It's, it's, I've had a lot of conflict on how I play that moments over and over in my head sometimes. I don't think you should but feel it, bad for stepping down. And I know you probably don't now. You do. You do still. <laughs> I, I don't think you should. I don't think you should. Cause when I was in the position of principal engineer, principal development, engineer, right? So I'm like, I need to not do this anymore. And I wasn't allowed to step down and it forced me out of the company. I mean, I, mm. I couldn't do it anymore. So I had to make the decision to just leave because I could not do that. I, they weren't okay with me not doing mm. the role. And then they weren't willing to like compromise elsewhere. So I had to leave. So I mean, it's you oh, stepping man. down or burning yourself out and leaving on bad terms. So look at it from that point of view, if nothing else, that you still get to be the company you love. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. There's always a bright side to everything. I try to find them. I try. Okay. Should we do 10 years or do you think that's too much for one show? <laughs> oh, man. I would like to retire in 10 years. That would be <laughs> nice. I, I don't think my doge is going to pay off that much by then. Well, <laughs> so my doge might not pay off, but the perk of having a kid, having my boys really young, is that it does mean later in life I don't need the big house. I don't need the tuition mm-hmm. accounts. I don't have so much to support. So it does give me the opportunity of my math right to retire earlier than most of my peers who will still be putting kids through college and still be supporting big family lives. Yeah. And I won't have that. So I, I do plan to retire early. That's a good point. I mean, my youngest is 10 right now, so it'll be another eight years in theory, right? If everything goes according to tradition before he's out of the house and potentially for good. Yeah. I am a year and a half away from, well, less than that now. Yeah. Like a year and yeah, a year and a half away from my youngest graduating high school. Wow. And I mean, you're a couple of years younger than me. So yeah. Yeah, I'm 36. Okay. You're not just a couple of years like younger than me. My my wife listens to this podcast occasionally. (laughs) 
And she's always like, Carol is my hero. She's just awesome. (laughs) Meanwhile, my wife is like, you're not offended that I don't listen to your podcast, right? Well, if we're talking about people, mine got a Patreon. Hey, like he joined to come like hang out with us to be super supportive. Right? He's so sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. Tell her that I'm super happy she said that because I don't, I definitely don't. I struggle with that insecurity on my own that I just, I don't feel like I contribute. So I really appreciate that. Carol, you contribute. I like. You guys know I have lunch with uh, one of our patrons and my former boss regularly. Patreon. And he, almost every time that we go out to lunch, has positive comments to say about all three of you guys. Oh, um, but nothing about you? Uh, well, Sorry, it, Adam. He's, you know, he strokes my ego every time that we go out to lunch. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but it, he always has comments about how smart you guys are and... Awesome things. Very nice. Yeah, I so. appreciate it. I mean, I'm learning a ton from hanging out with you guys. You're definitely challenging me. So I just appreciate that, if nothing else. If nobody listened, I would still want to keep doing this just to be challenged. Heck yeah. That's why I'm glad people listen. Gives us an excuse. I know, right? We're not just lame now. <laughs> I think the four of us do very different types yeah. of work. or We're all in, in different roles, so it's interesting. Yeah. It's not just the four of us jamming out on... I did this. Oh yeah, I did that too. Yeah. It's it's we all have very different perspectives, I think, which yeah, is great. I agree. Heck yeah. Agree, cool. agree. All right. This episode of Working Code was brought to you by FTPing files to your production server. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and listeners like you. If you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon. And you could do that by going to patreon.com slash working code pod. And if you don't already know, Patreon is a place where you can support us for as little as $4 a month. And all of our patrons get our after show and early access to new episodes and that after show as soon as they're ready. And we want to send a big thank you to our top patrons, Monty and Peter. Thank you guys so much for your huge and and ongoing support. Uh, And if patronizing podcasts isn't your thing, not a problem. We appreciate just that you take the time. If you enjoyed this episode, you could post about it on your social media. That would be helpful. And you could also really help us out if you left us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and show topics on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod or leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. Or you can join our Discord, which is now open to the public and share your ideas in there. You can... Get access to our Discord at workingcode.dev slash Discord. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, folks, your heart matters. And to our American friends, happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. Okay, well then I will start the show. From This American Life and WBEZ Chicago, this is Serial. One story told week by week. Love that. Love it, love uh, it. <laughs>